Good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody here this morning. I'll try to give everybody a chance for a minute here. All right, so before we get started this morning, if you will, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for being the God who sees our needs, Father, and provides for them for taking care of us and watching over us, Father. We thank you for your love and your mercy, and we thank you for your Son who came and gave himself for us, Father, that we could have this relationship with you, that we could be your children. Father, we ask that you would lead and guide us in this study. Help us to learn what you want us to know, Father. Help us to put these things into practice in our daily lives and to draw closer to the Lord and continue to follow him in a faithful way. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we had left off with uh, question 15, or we had... We had finished question 14. We're ready to do question 15. We're in Revelation chapter 3. We're looking at verses 14 through 22, and my Bible labels that the lukewarm church. And I want to read those verses again just to refresh our minds before we get back into these questions. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So now we wanted to look at question 15, and this church in uh, Laodicea, what does the Lord counsel them to do? You can see that in verse 18. Right, to buy gold, right? He says to buy gold from me, from him, right? Refined in the fire. And to buy white garments, right? So, to and, and, and a third thing, that's right, and to anoint their eyes with eye salve. So these are three things. Now, what gold can we buy or purchase or gain from Jesus? He's not like a gold seller out here on the street, right? Yes. 
Wisdom. Wisdom would be gold, right? Okay. Right. A treasure. Patience. Patience. Okay. Matt. Or just the, the blessings of the gospel, salvation, and hope, hope of eternal life. Right. The blessings of the gospel, the hope of eternal life, uh, the, the heavenly gold, right? The heavenly treasures. That's what we're seeking, right? So it's that's the gold that we can buy from Jesus. And then how do we buy that? How do we go about attaining that? I'm just thinking about all this from a very practical standpoint. Yes? It's in the Bible for us to find. It's in the Bible for us to find. Well, yes, it is in the Bible for us to find. Yes, Matt? Well, there's a sense. I mean, it's, it's metaphorical. Obviously, it's revelation, right? So it's, it's you're not going to actually pay with money or whatever. But, right. But it's a free gift, in fact. Yeah, salvation and all that is a free gift. But here I was taking that as um, we buy that, we purchase this treasure we seek by seeking the kingdom of heaven by doing what the Lord has commanded us to do, right? By following his commandments, we lay up treasure in heaven. Remember, um, we lay up treasure in heaven by loving others and helping others. What we do for others is what we do for the Lord, right? That's how we purchase this treasure or this gold. And then there's a difference, though, with the white garments. How do we buy those? And through obedience, through obedience. And remember, this is metaphorical, like Matt was saying. It's not, you know, we're not really buying, purchasing anything. But, um, and I had that, yes, Pat? Because they were purchased with his blood, and when we're baptized, we become white as snow. Actually, he purchased, yeah, that's a good point. Actually, he purchased these robes for us with his blood, right? But we buy them from him through repentance, repentance, coming to the Lord, repenting, um, being baptized, and then later, as a Christian, we know we're not perfect, we know we still make mistakes, so again, we, we repent. We come to the Lord, and we uh, get forgiveness, and we change and try to become more like the Lord. So then, this was, a, this was an odd one too. How do we anoint our eyes with eye salve? Or what is the eye salve? Well, what we see is what the eye salve is for. So if we look into the gospel and read the Bible, it cleanses our eyes to see more perfectly. Right. What Pat's saying is that the Bible, the Word of God, that is the eye salve. It cleanses our eyes. It helps us to see the truth so that we don't have this cloudy, murky vision where we don't see and understand what's going on. Kim? Is it part of our commitment that we've changed our lives and we devote ourselves in God's ways and we kind of have blinders on to sin because we're dead to sin? Because you think about the opposite. Well, not in this sense, though. It's not. It's not intended to be that way. It's. It, it's intended that you would, because you are committed to the Lord, that you would, you would read the Bible. You would read His truth, and the truth, you know, will, will, enlighten you, and you would be able to see clearly through God's Word. 
That was that was the thought I had. Yes, man. Um, like a lot of these letters to these cities, Jesus is using their history or their context as a as a springboard to talk about what he's talking about. So, uh, from what I've read, there's a, a, a medical school there in Laodicea that produces and it's known for this great ISAV to help people medicinally. And so he's like saying, "Well, you guys know about that, but you need my ISAV." help you from spiritual blindness. Right. So, okay. So I did, so they had a, a medical kind of school there or organization and they, you know, and they, they had, they knew about ISAV because this place had done that. So he's using that. Jesus, a lot of times with these letters was using things that were well known about these cities in those letters to relate to them so that they would understand. And, but for us coming forward, since we don't live in Laodicea or Laodicea, however you say that, and uh, and we're uh, we're looking at this, you know, back through a few thousand years, right? So um, just trying to relate that to us today, so that we would understand that what he's what he's getting at is that we would follow his word, use his eye salve, so to speak, to have good vision. Yes. He does restore sight to the blind, and he does bring light, right? And that's that's yeah, um, that's kind of what my thinking was on that as well. Is that he does restore sight to the blind? That's part of his mission, right? Does anybody have anything else on that? Okay, so if we look at Question 16, what justification does the Lord give for such a strong rebuke? And if you look at the rebuke, well, anyway, what, what's the reason for it? He says, he gives us a clear reason there in verse uh, 19 for this rebuke that he gives him. He loves, he rebukes, and and they had to be rebuked because of their lifestyle or lack of lifestyle in Christ. They had to be rebuked because they were being lukewarm, right? And um, he does that with people he loves. He rebukes and chastens. In other words, he corrects and teaches those he loves. And that is all of us, really. And it's important to realize that the, the whole intent, again, these are, these are both teaching letters and encouraging letters. And there is some promise of judgment if we don't pay attention, but they are meant to be encouraging and teaching and corrective. So, and uh, he's doing that out of love. He says, uh, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And he loves us even when we're on the wrong track. He just wants to get us on the right track. That's what that is. Yes, Pat? We see that with our physical fathers. Yes. They raise us in that way because they love us. Yeah, look at your parents. Your parents are always trying, especially when you're young, and if you're troublesome like I was, then, you know, your parents are always trying to correct you. They don't want you to get yourself killed or something stupid, you know. They want to keep you out of the fire, that kind of thing. Yes? I probably have a problem with your statement that you were troublesome as a child. Well, you'd have to talk to my mom, but, you know. I could be helpful at times, but uh, I'm sure I could be troublesome too. <laughs> so, uh, does anybody have anything else on that?
Okay, so then if we look at uh, 17, what does he, the Lord, say to such Christians? What does he recommend they do? That's probably an easier way to say that. You hear his voice and open the door. Well, he does say that. That's that's a little further down, but yes, he does say that. Repent. Says be zealous and repent, right? And okay, so zealous. Now, what does zealous mean here in this sense? To be on fire for something. Well, it does mean to be on fire, right? Means yeah, actually being on fire is a good way to say it. Your your passion, your passionate. Yeah, I'm trying to say the word right. I'm you're passionate. Uh, you're eager, so that you're and it, the the implication here is that you're eager to learn and change and become more like the Lord. Yes, man. Kind of the opposite of what they're accused of being lukewarm, right? Right. Be cold or hot, be refreshing or warming or something, but you're just like. Garbage in the middle. So get with it. Get going. Be enthusiastic. Yeah, and that makes sense. He is telling them to be enthusiastic, to to rouse themselves up. Yes. I just have to think, too, that uh, he's given them a solution. They don't have to be in that state anymore. Right. Yeah, he's given them a solution. They don't have to be that way. Right. And then he also, the other point that you were making, he stands at the door and knocks, right? Those who hear and open the door, he will dine with them, right? So, um, there's a, I guess, okay, so what is the idea of the Lord? If the Lord, did you have something, Kim? Yeah. Having fellowship together, right? Right, yeah, that is what, that's what I was getting ready to kind of get at. So the idea of the Lord coming to your door and he's coming to hopefully come in and dine with you, what does that kind of imply? It implies like a renewed or a repaired relationship or maybe a new relationship with the Lord where he's your friend, you're inviting him in, you know. Pat? There's a famous painting of Christ standing at the door knocking and somebody saw that painting one day and they said, but you didn't put a doorknob on there for him to open the door. And he said, no, I did that purposely because he's not going to open the door. You are. Right, because we have to open the door for Christ. Yeah, he's not going to force his way in. Yes, Kim? Yes, we need to be receptive to that. And he's waiting to have that relationship. Right, right. He's not going to come. He's not going to come through the door. He'll knock. But he's not going to come barging in. He's waiting to have that relationship with us. He's always waiting for us to repent and, and come to him. Let's see. So um, if we look at question 18, what will be granted to him who overcomes? He says two things there, really, in verse 21. One is to sit with the Lord on his throne. And it says, even as the Lord overcame and sat with his father on his throne. And what does that kind of imply to you? He's accepting you. Right, he is accepting us, yeah. Kim? 
He's yeah. Well, the Lord is our older brother, right? And He's the first fruits of the resurrection, but He's also our older brother. We're heirs with Him, right? Right. And He's right. He's the King, right? And this is His throne, right? So He's He's sharing His reign and authority, just like God gave authority over to Him and shared with Him. He is offering to share with us if we overcome. Yes, he does say he'll give you rest too. That's right. So you could you could also say that's an implication of that resting there with him on his throne. But I was looking at like that like an authority thing, like a you know we're sharing in his reign and his authority. Does anybody have anything else on that? All right. So question nineteen. What exhortation is given at the end of each letter in this chapter? And I, I think we've <coughs> seen this before, right? The gifts are going to be given if we do God's will, like said on the throne with a white stone, the wood will be given, and so on and so forth. Right, there's those rewards, and, and he always says, too, uh, you know, uh, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, right? Now, there's one thing that most of the other letters have that's missing from the letter to Laodicea. And did you notice that, or do you, you know, do you care to guess what the, what's missing? No, no. Um, what it is, this is something uh, that I noticed, most of the letters have a commendation to them, where he tells them the good things they're doing, right? He doesn't really say anything good about them. He just says they're lukewarm. So it's just something to note because these letters all have, uh, if we, you know, we tabled a couple of questions early on about the format of these letters and things that they tried to do back in, like early in the first chapter, and I thought it was kind of odd to do it there. Um, the format, the pattern of these letters tends to be uh, the Lord identifying himself so that it kind of expresses his deity and his supremacy and identifies him as the Lord Jesus, um, usually commends the congregation for the good things they do and then warns them about the bad things they need to change and then encourages them to do better and promises them a reward for actually making those changes. That's the general format of these letters, and just this one letter, it doesn't really have any commendation. So, I don't think, I think all the others had a commendation, but I may be, I could be wrong if there's another one like that, but I didn't think so. So, and we need to remember that we're looking at these letters as if they're to us personally, so that we can examine ourselves and apply these things to ourselves. So, one of the questions that I kind of tabled from that early on chapter uh, was what is the basis, what is often the basis for the Lord's designation in the letters? Meaning in all the letters he identifies himself and what's that identification kind of reflect back to that we read early on in the first chapter? He is the head of the church. He 
that wasn't what they were going for, but no, he but is I the head of the church. Okay. Yeah, he does have all authority. Did you have something, Matt? Yeah, in Revelation chapter 1, there's that vision of the Son of Man and all the imagery. It's right. It's hard to understand, but it's uh, going back to Daniel 7, and you know, they draw from that in each of these letters to point back Right, it's that description of the vision of Son of Man with the lampstands and the stars, which I think even I misspoke on one of those. Um, so there's that, and then there's the the one question which we keep getting repeatedly is, you know, what exhortation is at the end of each letter? And that's to, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and that's to draw our attention to these things and make sure that we're listening and heeding and, and really examining these things and understanding how they relate to us. So, does anybody have anything else on chapter 3, the last of these letters, yes? The big takeaway for me is that if you don't have a repentant heart, you're not going to be Right. If you don't have a repentive heart, you're yeah. Yes, you're going to have a lot of trouble, and you're not going to be open to any of this. And not having repentance is a theme that we're going to see through parts of Revelation for sure. Um, and that is that is a problem. So we can, uh, if no one has anything else, we can move forward to chapter four. And I'm just going to do, I'm going to do a quick couple of lines summary here on some of that. Um, basically, you know, John sees an, a door open into heaven and he's transported to God's throne room. That's the basic idea. Um, he sees 24 elders that are pointed out to us. He sees God on his throne and he um, sees the four creatures and there's other things that we can get into more details. Uh, question one, the main points of the chapter, uh, the first eight verses are the throne scene, and then the last couple of verses are God being praised as creator. So now chapter four is very short. There's only 11 verses. So I'm just going to take it as one chunk and read those uh, 11 verses, and then we'll get into the rest of the questions. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne sat in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures 
full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So when the Lord finished with the letters to the church, the churches, what did John see? How does his vision start, I guess? He saw a door. He saw a door standing open in heaven is the way it's phrased here. And then, what did John hear? A voice like a trumpet, right? Saying, come up here. And then what was he told he will see? Things that must take place after this, right? Yes. Right. He's telling him, like he's telling him, this is a prophecy being revealed. I'm going to show you what's coming next, right? All right. Um, so, if we look at question four, then. What was the first thing John noticed? He noticed. He saw a throne, right? A throne set in heaven and one sitting on the throne. Now, the word used for throne has the implication of power and royalty. It is a ruler's seat. And, uh, Thayer's gave one definition like um, the wording uh, the wording was something like a, uh, a stately seat with a footstool or something like that. So just to give you an idea, I, I'm not sure that that's exactly the vision, um, but it was a throne and that's the word being used there. So did every throne have a footstool? I do not know. But that would go, the reference to a footstool might go with other things we've read in the New Testament. So. so, question five, how does John describe the appearance of the one on the throne? Like precious stones of different types. Right, it's like, he says like a jasper and a... This says like a jasper and a sardius stone. If we look at the 
Jasper and a Sardius stone. Now a Jasper, when I looked up Jasper, it can have various different colors. But the implication that the, uh, the author of the workbook seemed to think that this was a bright white, like a diamond. I, I don't know that because a Jasper could be many colors and this didn't really say, the text didn't really say that. As far as the Sardius stone, that could be a red stone, and some of your translations may say ruby instead of Sardius. I saw that. Yes? So are we to assume that it says in two, one sat on the throne, and in three it says he who sat there, are we to assume that it is in the figure of a person? I was taking it to be, yes, that this is kind of in the figure of a person, that that God is at least being seen visually as something John would understand as a, as a person. That was what I was understanding. Now, there is this radiance that's being described here, so how clear a vision this is and how much of this radiance is keeping him from seeing other things, I don't know. But So, it, it does say, and, and one sat on the throne, so it's got to be purposely vague. Maybe. It doesn't, say, it doesn't say, and a man sat on the throne. No. Because we're in heaven, right? It's right. Like heavenly vision, so. He didn't say a human figure, yeah. but he, he does, he makes it, it's vague, but it does make it sound, I mean, it's kind of the way I would naturally interpret it, that it would be, you know, but, again, he is vague, so. Brian says, and one sat on the throne. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Right, and one sat on the throne, right. And then when, yeah, see, let's see, okay. So yeah, verse two, and one sat on the throne, but then verse three, and he who sat there, so kind of implying that he could at least tell something about the figure there. But it is kind of vague, so. Well, so again, God is often referred to as he, right? So that's not Well, surprising. he's always referred to as he. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so. Instead of describing his face or his body or something, it says he's like these precious stones. So it's like really, it's really vague and, and weird. And again, that's like a yeah. radiance, like yeah. a glowing. And yeah, so that it may be difficult to even be sure of a of a form, but um, because what he is describing is a radiance, a glowing. So well, we look at precious stones with wonder and. Sparkling and sparkling and all kinds of things. Yeah. When I thought of a hope diamond, you know, I thought, man, this people kill for, people die for, all because it's a beautiful stone. Yeah, just because it's a sparkly, yeah. glimmering. And Jesus yes. And God. Yeah. Is so beautiful and so precious. I don't know if we can really look on them as a human. Well, not as a human, because they're not. But, you know, by, by describing a stone, it gives us a, a vision. It tries to give us a vision, and whether or not we would understand what we see of God, I, I don't know. Kim? Later in this book, it tells us that there's no meaning for it. There's no day and no night. There's no need for sun and moon. And it tells us that there's no God will be the light, yes, of, of the heavenly city that we, we go to, God will be that light, yes, so, Matt? So I guess part of my comments are coming from, we have this popular culture vision of you know, 
the van upstairs, right? Yeah, and we or, did. Or like sometimes there's paintings with or cartoons with like this old man with a big beard and sort of representing God. Yep. That's not what John's saying. That that yeah. might be in our heads, but that is not what he's saying. Right. He's not describing a figure. I mean, even though when I read it, that's kind of what comes to my mind is this glowing radiant figure and I think of it in a human sense, but maybe it's not. So yes. I was thinking too, these stones are very valuable. Right. I, I assume so. I, I don't know a lot about stones, but yeah, I would assume that these stones are very valuable, yes. Yeah. And that again, like there's this radiance and this glowing, so Does anybody have anything else on that? Because that's, I mean, really the, the description is what it is. That's <coughs> no matter what I may see when I'm thinking of it in my head. If we look at question six, what is the color of the rainbow around the throne? <coughs> Emerald, right? So green, but it's also called a rainbow, right? And some say, some will say it's a, it's a halo or a circle. And it, it kind of implies bands of shades of green, I'll say. It's what I'm trying to get at. It kind of implies that it's not all one solid green, but maybe shades of green variations. Yes. Yeah. It could be prism like. I, I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. That could be. That some of these things, it, it is imagery, and it's going to be hard to put down, you know, everything exactly. It's not as defined, maybe, as we would like always. So, let's see. If we look at question seven, now, some of these questions might be a little vague, but if you look at the verse they refer to, it might help you. What is around the throne? 24 more thrones, right. And I can't help but envision just smaller thrones, you know, around the big throne. Um, whether that's, he doesn't mention size, so I really don't know that. That's just the way it pops into my head again. Um, 24 uh, thrones with what? 24 elders, right. So they have, we have 24 elders. Right, of gold, I see, crowns of gold, with crowns of gold, and clothed in white robes, right? So, what do, the description of these elders, what do the white robes, what does that imply to us? Purity. Purity, Purity right. Purity, they're forgiven, they're clean, they're pure, right? And then what about the crowns, the crowns of gold? Rulers, right? Because what you think of, first thing when you think of a crown, it's usually rulers. Rulers, right? What did you say, Rachel? Conquerors. Conquerors? Yep. Yeah. You know, to, yeah. Exalted yeah. or lifted up. Oh, exalted or lifted up. Right. They're victorious, right? Notice how Jesus was promising a crown if, to the victorious. So they're victorious, right? I, I'm just trying to relate all this to what we're what we're reading and, and studying. Yes. So many times we uh, associate numbers with uh, things we're familiar with in the Old Testament, and it was twelve tribes. 
brothers, double that. And so we learn in the New Testament that the elders are a plurality. And I don't know if that has anything to do with what I'm trying to say or not. <laughs> There's two of them for each tribe. I think she's trying to get to 12 tribes of Israel and 12 apostles. Right. Yes. Did you have some math? That's what I was. That's what I was thinking of too. I was going to suggest too. And if you, this doesn't explicitly say that. No, it doesn't. If you say, well, that kind of makes sense. There's those twelve from the Old Testament, twelve from the New Testament. It kind of gives you the sense, like a lot of what Paul is arguing in Romans, right, about the Jews and the Gentiles. If they're in Christ and faithful, then we're all included. Right. We're all included, right? And that's that's how I was looking at that too. We have the leaders of the tribes. And we have the 12 apostles, which were kind of like the new Gentile tribes, I guess, if you want to think of it that way. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, 12 and 12, and that gives us 24. And that's that's where I was thinking, too. One, yes, go ahead, Kim. Honestly, we can help but think the way we do as humans to think that, well, God, he's the most important. He's going to get the biggest chair. He's probably going to be sitting up higher. Right. And then they're going to get the little chairs. Yeah. Yeah. Superior, so right, that's, that's my the idea. Are my things, but yeah. the beauty of all this is that it invokes in us this um, excitement and joy and imagination in our minds to be creative and think, "Wow, what that!" It's hard to find the words and to describe what John saw. Right, and it our, is. Our, Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure John was overwhelmed. And he's trying to describe things that are probably almost indescribable in language. He's probably, you know, he's trying to do the best he can. And I imagine that some of this is very difficult. Um, so one of the things I wanted us to think about, though, because I was relating these two to the to leaders of the tribes and to the apostles was look at them. They're they're crowned with gold and they have their white robes. Were they perfect in life? No. no. Right? They were flawed just like all of us, right? So when Jesus is promising us these things, it, to me, in a way, this is like, this is showing us that he's serious when he's promising us heavenly rewards and crowns and and. You know, he promised them that they would be rulers and judges. And to me, this is a reinforcement of what he's already promised. So I just wanted to mention that uh, we're out of time for this morning. So I want to thank you for your time, your attention. We'll pick up here with uh, what? Uh, question eight. Yep. Question eight next week. Thank you.